Good morning. Welcome to our service today. All those of you here in our worship auditorium and welcome to those of you joining us online. I have to tell you, uh, when we have a baptism as we did today, um, while the reading's going on, I am I'm just so grateful. I get a moment to stand back there and look out at the crowd. And it is so good to see all of you here. Um, I see some of you haven't had a chance to talk to in almost two years. Many people are starting to come back to church. And um, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of our church. Thank you for sticking with us during the COVID season. And welcome to all of you who have come since the COVID season. It is so great to have you here. I want to mention a couple things before we um, get into the scripture this morning. Um, the first is that our study guides on the Gospel of Luke are available today at the Resource Center. This is one that David Holcomb wrote. It's the longest one that's ever been written for our church because the Luke is a very long gospel. David always does an outstanding job. You can pick these up today at the Resource Center. I think it's a $5 donation, which is less than the cost of printing. I also want to mention coming up on Wednesday, March the 2nd, our Ash Wednesday service. Those of you who've been here for a few years uh, realize we haven't had this service in a couple of years. Uh, Brad Cano designs this very special service, very different from our typical Sunday morning service. Frankly, until he designed the first one, I had never been to an Ash Wednesday service or had ashes placed on my head or really understood the significance of that. So put that on your calendars. It's uh, Wednesday, March 2nd, coming up just a week from this Wednesday. It's going to be held uh, twice at 12.15 and again at 5.45. Uh, so for those who can come at lunchtime or those who come after, it's only about 30, 35, 40 minutes for that service. Uh, finally, in your bulletin, you'll notice some upcoming events, and I would note the couple's night out that you'd need to sign up for soon. On the back of your bulletin, you've got an outline of the message if it helps you to follow with that. The Gospel of Luke. We have seen that Jesus, in Luke chapter 3, makes his public appearance after many years of relative obscurity. Luke presents to us Jesus when he's about 12 years of age, and then we don't see or hear from him again until he's about 30. At that time, he emerges. He's baptized by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And then Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he is fasting, and he's being tempted by the devil tempted by Satan himself. We studied that passage last week, and as Jesus emerged from the wilderness, having overcome every temptation that Satan sent his way, we read that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And now he comes to Nazareth. We read in Luke 4, 16, he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and opened a scroll to read. So can you just picture this? This small town of Nazareth, very small town, where Jesus had grown up. He was accustomed at this point in his life to worshiping on the Sabbath day and going into the synagogue where there would be readings from these great scrolls, what we know as the Old Testament. Jesus takes the scroll of Isaiah, a big scroll, a lengthy scroll, 66 chapters in our Bible, and he opens it all the way toward the end, which would be chapter 61 in our Bibles, and he begins to read. 
And he notes first, as we'll see, that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit as he reads the words from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed. Now that comes from the Gospel of Luke. As you'll see, it's right out of Isaiah 61 and verse 1. What is Jesus doing here? When he uses the word anointed, he's using a form of the Hebrew word mashak, which means to anoint. It gives rise to our word, rise to our word Messiah. The word Messiah simply means the anointed one. The Greek equivalent is the word Christos or Christ. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Anointed One. So here in his hometown synagogue, Jesus is now identifying himself as the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ, because he says in verse 21, as he reads the passage, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Isaiah had prophesied it over 700 years before. Jesus now, as he opens the scroll, is saying, I'm the one. I'm the one about whom Isaiah prophesied. I'm the one about whom the writings in Scripture pertain, to whom they pertain. I'm the anointed one, the Messiah. He goes on to explain what he has been sent to do. He was sent to proclaim the gospel. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me, anointed me to proclaim, to declare something, to preach something, to teach something, and that something is good news. Our word gospel basically means good news. Good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind. And again, the very words, well, not quite the very words, come from Isaiah. So we look at that passage, we'll see that Jesus modifies it just a bit. Um, he says, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Well, wait a minute now. Jesus changes it. He doesn't cite that part of Isaiah when he speaks of his own ministry. Why is that? I think it's because Jesus came not to bring the day of vengeance, but the day of salvation. The Gospel of John's best known verse, John 3:16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And verse 17 goes on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus is bringing salvation. That's why the angel told Joseph, the husband of Mary, that he should be named Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus, the name Yeshua, the Lord is salvation, or the Lord saves. He's bringing salvation. His ministry was to proclaim good news to the poor, declare liberty to the captives, liberty to the oppressed. Now, 
I think it's worth noting something here because there is a, a stream of theology that is very widespread in the world that takes this passage, uh, Luke chapter 4, the verses we've just read, Isaiah chapter 61, that takes this passage and makes them very central to a system of theology that's commonly called liberation theology. It, it arose, I understand, first in Latin America uh, among uh, Catholic teachers who took this passage and, and made it the central focus of biblical teaching, emphasizing that God's primary work in the world is to um, assist the poor and deliver them from all oppression. And various streams of this have, uh, have uh, been developed in the American church, taught in many, many seminaries. That's why many churches in America, if you visit today, the emphasis will often be on um, overturning unjust social structures and things like this as the heart of the gospel. And this is one of the primary texts. Now, let me just say this. First of all, the Bible is very clear throughout from beginning to end that God's people should be compassionate and should care for the poor. No one should be entreated unjustly. As Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to show mercy, to walk humbly with your God. But was Jesus' primary ministry, his central ministry, to overthrow unjust social structures? Was that the focus of his ministry? Was that the reason he went to the cross? I do not believe so. Many liberation theologies focus on a certain um, period in time, a certain place, a certain people group. And what we have to ask about any system of theology from the Word of God is, is it applicable to all people at all times in all places? Because God's Word does not change. God does not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, the Bible throughout emphasizes our need to show compassion for the poor to help them in every way possible, to care for the poor, the oppressed, aliens, the Bible uses, not those from outer space, those from other nations. It's a biblical word. Often we would say foreigners, widows, orphans. But the gospel, the central focus of Jesus' coming, deals first and foremost with removal of sin that we can enter an eternal relationship with God. And then being regenerated by the Spirit of God, we go into the world and show His love, His care, His mercy, His justice. Yes, but the central focus is the forgiveness of sins. This verse in Hebrews makes it very clear, I think, why Jesus came. Hebrews 2 and verse 14 says, Since therefore the children, that is us human beings, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, that is, Christ took a flesh and blood body, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus, in his death on the cross, broke Satan's hold over the people of the world, holding them in sin, and delivered those 
who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, and I think he means slavery to sin. The writer goes on to say that Jesus has become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus' primary ministry was to give his life on the cross. Isaiah would elsewhere say, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us, we've turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him, on Jesus Christ, all of our sins. It's a central focus of his ministry, to deliver us from sin. Now, if we want to know um, what Jesus' ministry is all about, and I, I believe it's liberating us from the power of sin and Satan, all we need to do is read what he starts doing right after he makes this declaration in the synagogue. Right after this passage ends, we read these words, beginning in verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Can you imagine that? You're in a nice orderly synagogue hearing a reading from the scripture and somebody burst out shouting, I know who you are. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. That's Simon Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Wow. What a day. My goodness. The end of the day, the whole city's gathering around. Can you imagine this? Healings, all these demons being cast out. What is happening here? It's interesting to me. Because in the whole Old Testament, which is the book of the Bible, there's relatively little about Satan and about demons. We see Satan in the Garden of Eden. We see him in the book of Job. We see evil spiritual principalities in the book of Daniel. A little bit about Satan in the Old Testament. But now Jesus comes and wham! As soon as he starts a public ministry, they're manifesting all over the place and he's casting them out. Jesus comes and all of a sudden there's conflict. Conflict. And a demonstration of God's power. Why is that? Why is that? It's because light dispels darkness. And Jesus brought light into the world in such a degree that evil was being exposed and Satan's strongholds were being broken, his power being driven out. 
God is showing compassion for people, as John would say at the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Light drives out darkness. We may wonder, is that happening anywhere in the world today? I'll tell you, I, I can't say where this was as, as our services are online, but Pastor West Tuttle and I had the opportunity this past week to meet with some folks from another part of the world who shared with us what is happening in their part of the world. And I have to tell you, I don't believe I have ever heard a firsthand account of greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit, demonstration of God's power, and yes, the casting out of demons, and not just thousands, but tens of thousands of people coming out of darkness into light, the church multiplying, than I have ever heard in terms of a, a firsthand account from a missionary or a missions leader. God, God's pouring out His Spirit in parts of our world today. Now, Jesus here was practicing what He preached. He was proclaiming good news to the poor, setting at liberty those who were oppressed. But something else has happened in this passage we need to point out. Everybody wasn't happy with Jesus. He was willing to speak the truth despite persecution. When Jesus, the hometown teacher, comes into the synagogue in Nazareth and he starts teaching, people were wowed as he spoke. He was glorified by all. They thought he was great. Verse 22 reads, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words coming out of his mouth. But all of a sudden things changed because Jesus began to speak to those in that synagogue uncompromising truth. And he began confronting them with their self-centered ideas, their ideas that because of who they were, their Jewish identity, they were righteous and perhaps better than other people. And he begins pointing out, well, let's just read it in Luke 4 in verse 27. He says, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Wait a minute. Jesus appointed to two of the greatest prophets. He just talked about Elijah, and now he talks about Elijah. In each case, he says, God sent them to non-Jews to show them his power, his grace, his healing favor. Didn't send them to the other lepers in Israel in the time of Elijah, but to a Syrian named Naaman. But when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Wait a minute. These were the people who just a few moments ago were marveling at how great he was. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. Wow. They go from, you know, bragging about him in the same service to trying to throw him off a cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. We have to note this about Jesus, that all things were not easy for him. Because he spoke truth and he spoke with authority, there were people, often very religious people, who did not like what he said. But he said it anyway. 
Now, the question I'd like to raise this morning is, what, is, what does that have to do with you and me? Is this just a, a, a good um, account from history to guide us in our faith? It is, it is that. But I think there's practical relevance for us. Because, first of all, those of us who know Jesus Christ, and by, by that I mean you have truly embraced the salvation he provided on the cross. You've humbled yourself, turned from sin, and turned to him and embraced his salvation. We, who follow Jesus, are sent into the world as he was sent. If you read the gospel accounts, pretty often you'll find the word sent or send. I'm sending you. He called the 12 together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out. Well, that was the 12. We, we might say, we might say they're, they're unusual. We're not to compare ourselves to them. But then we read later in Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him into every town. And he said, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more labors. Here's 72, but I'm asking you to, to pray for more people who will be sent. As Jesus is praying himself in John chapter 17, he says, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them. He's praying for his own disciples, yes, but verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's, that's you and me. We believe in him because of the word of the apostles, the ones to whom he said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. The point is, if we're followers of Jesus, if we have embraced his salvation, like Christ, we also have been sent on a mission into the world. We're sent to proclaim good news. We're sent to proclaim his gospel. Maybe you've noticed on our, our bulletin, um, the very front, if you got one today, under the River Oaks logo, it says, building followers of Jesus who are sent, sent to reach others. That's because we believe in our spiritual growth. We should grow to the point where, where we're going out and praying for others, ministering to their needs, providing care for them, yes, but also... <clears throat> sharing the message of the gospel and <clears throat> proclaiming the message of the gospel to them. So someone may ask, <clears throat> does that mean you have to be a missionary overseas? No, not necessarily. I think every Christian should be willing to go where God sends them to go. But probably <clears throat> God calls you to be a missionary right where you are. Why do you work where you do? You may say, well, I work at home now. I don't go anywhere to work. Well, why do you live where you do? Maybe God's put you in your neighborhood to be a witness. God sent you there. What are your, what are your hobbies? Beth and I were uh, excited because our, our son <clears throat> got involved with a group in his church. Um, they were trying to do some outreach projects, and, and uh, Saturday a week ago they had gone to this place and didn't really didn't really pan out they got to share the gospel with anybody but he said the next day I was playing basketball he loves basketball and he said I was playing with this guy who had, had an injured ACL or something and offered to pray for him and when I offered to pray for him he said he believed in prayer but he had never read the Bible 
So I asked him if he'd like to read the Bible together, start reading the Bible. I thought, what a wonderful way to begin to share with somebody. Show care, offer to help them toward Christ, toward Jesus. We have got today at our Resource Center, by the way, some little booklets called Witnessing. That may be a help to you. We prepared these to help those who just want a little practical guidance and biblical guidance on how to get to a conversation about the gospel and how to share the message of the gospel with others. So we're sent like Jesus was sent. Secondly, we must be empowered with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. He would later say to his followers, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you the promise of the Holy Spirit and His power. In fact, He said, stay in the city until you're clothed with power. Don't even go out and try to do this mission until you're empowered. That would become more clear in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 when Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All true believers have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're living in the fullness of His power because the Bible says be filled with the Holy Spirit. Seek for God's Holy Spirit to work in you, to empower you, to work through you and to guide you. And then finally, this lesson from Jesus. If He's persecuted, we will be too. We'll be persecuted as we faithfully proclaim His gospel. Jesus said the one who hears you Here's me, the one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep your word. But all these things they'll do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. We should never be offensive to people beating them over the head with the Bible, offending them by our own um, rude or unkind approach. But settle it beforehand that if you're going to faithfully share the message of the gospel with people here in Forsyth or Davie or Yadkin County or somewhere else in the world, eventually someone's going to reject you and perhaps to a degree you'll face some persecution. Jesus, a little bit later in the Gospel of Luke chapter, said, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for your reward is great in heaven. Some of your students, and if you go off to college or go to service in the military or uh, uh, your first job, when you go off Oftentimes, that, that's a point in life where a great change occurs. For many young adults at ad, that age, college, that next step becomes a time of deep and great spiritual growth. For others, they go the other direction, turning away from what they have been, been taught. Sometimes it's a challenge because you go off to college, you go off a new environment, what you really want is friends. You really want people who like you and care about you. That's important. It's important to us all. I can remember my freshman year of college having a group of friends. Our friendship was basically built around partying together. And then before my freshman year was over, 
someone confronted me and sat down with me in the undergraduate library in Chapel Hill and began sketching out part of a little gospel tract called The Four Spiritual Laws. And he drew a little circle with a throne on it and put a cross on that throne and said, is Jesus on the throne of your life? And I had to say, I believe in him, but no, he's not on the throne of my life. And he urged me to make a decision that day. And the first thing that struck me was, if I make this decision, I'm going to lose my friends. But by God's grace, by the drawing of the Holy Spirit, I prayed with that freshman, made that decision, and it, it happened. That circle of friends, over time, left because God began to change me, but he gave me a new circle of friends. But settle it beforehand. If we're going to faithfully share the gospel, it'll affect our friendships, and there'll be people who reject us. But Jesus said, if they reject you, they reject me. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for your reward is great in heaven. So let me just try to recap this for a moment as we look at Jesus' example. If we truly know him, we're sent as he was sent. We're to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And yes, we need to get used to the idea that there can be rejection even persecution for that. This idea we have, uh, what we call our mission, of being uh, followers of Jesus who are, are built up and then sent to the world, gives rise to what we call our, our 2025 vision, what we hope our church will look like in the year 2025. Now, I'd like to close with this and share a, a brief video from um, Emily uh, uh, who was an intern on our staff just a little over a year ago before going overseas. But I want to close with this paragraph from our 2025 vision. The people of River Oaks recognize that their own spiritual growth should overflow into God's blessing upon the surrounding community, care for the poor and afflicted, service to the schools, and strategic church planning all reflect this overflow. While 80% of River Oaks members serve locally in some way, dozens of others have been called to missions overseas. Many college and young adults reflect upon a call to pastoral or missions ministry they receive while students at River Oaks. Spiritual formation at River Oaks is overflowing with generosity that enables the church to give over $500,000 annually to global and national missions, local ministries, and church planting. While River Oaks' first daughter church continues to thrive, River Oaks' second church plant is flourishing as it reaches an underserved community in the triad. I want to very briefly give you an update on these last three sentences, where we are, and then we'll go to a short video. Number one, this, this daughter church plant, our first daughter church plant, I want to let you know something that is, is, is really worth celebrating. Last Sunday, I mean last weekend, last uh, Friday, Saturday, here in our sanctuary, we had what's called a presbytery meeting uh, of our regional EPC churches. And at that meeting, our daughter church, Restoration Community Church that meets at North Davidson High School, was blessed and formed into a particular, distinct, self-sustaining church with their own elders, their own body. They've come to that point, and that was done last weekend. 
And I just want to say praise the Lord for that. Took a little longer than we might have thought, but they're growing at Door Davidson High School. Secondly, can we back that slide up, um, Karen, just to the former slide? There we go. When we began our church almost 23 years ago, four weeks from today will be almost 23 years to the day, um, we, as a symbolic gesture, wrote our first check to uh, missions ministry. Some of you remember that um, in uh, Cuba at the time. And um, it was symbolic because we wanted to be a church that as God blessed us, the, the world would be blessed, the world around us, here locally and far beyond. And so our first budget, um, we allocated 10%, a tithe out of our general fund that we would invest in, in missions as a, as a minimum. That was about $25,000 probably that was budgeted that first year. Um, over time, our church has had a vision as our general fund giving grows to not only increase the amount, but the percentage of the total. So that the figure we just turned in as our annual giving figure to the EPC uh, most recently uh, was $347,000. 347357 to be exact. Um, and our budget last year was $2.6 million. I just want to say that as you continue to give to our church faithfully, as you continue to tithe, giving to our general fund, we anticipate being able to reach this goal sooner rather than later. And I praise the Lord for that. And I thank you for your giving. Finally, in that same paragraph, college students and young adults going into missions ministry, we're, there are quite a few of those now who are serving in various missions ministries. Emily, um, whose who's greeting you'll hear now, I think it's fair to say her missions call uh, came rather at uh, college through her college ministry there, but we then had the privilege of having her as a discipleship intern on our staff here recently. And now before we close, I'd like you to briefly hear uh, from Emily. Well, let's do as Emily asks and pray for her right now, shall we? Father, we come in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for Emily. We pray that you would bless her with the grace and anointing of your Holy Spirit in her language learning. We pray you give her strong, good friendships to help her continue to faithfully serve you. So I look out, um, Lord, over the congregation, I see Kristen and others who've, who've been called overseas and faithfully served overseas and others who are serving locally. Lord, bless your people. Pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, equip us, enable us, send us into this world, Lord, to take your good news. And Lord, send us with your power, the anointing and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Give us boldness to speak as we should speak, despite what may come our way as a result. May we faithfully follow you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.